I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more know, doors. The show is called The Deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. This is a crowd podcast. You know when everyone wants a piece of you? And he knocked him out, I chinned him properly. Barry's got a phenomenal eye for talent. You can't leapfrog that bit. And the referee went, Rick! The best boxing podcast on the planet. 1-0, Barry, easy money. I chinned him in the second round. Let's get on with it. I'm George, he's Deck. Hello, it's the George Groves Boxing Club. Good morning, Deck, how are you? I'm not bad, George. How are you? I'm not bad. Yeah. I'm not bad. So it was a big question, that, isn't it? Don't yeah. know how to unpack it, but yeah, I'm fine. How's the vocal cords? Uh, yeah, holding up, I think. How's the brain? Firing all cylinders? Good question as well. Another difficult one. Not prepared to answer that. I'm not going to go off tangents. I've tried to come off coffee a little bit lately. Have but, you? Yeah, I mean, I was only ever a, really a one-a-day guy. Very but now, now like a one-every-few-days guy. What you replaced it with? Nothing yet, so I'm going to see if the brain still works. Mm. I had one this morning. <laughs> <laughs> what a start just in case just in case well you're going to need it because this is a hell of an episode it is one hell of an episode this might be the reason why I have decided to go into the coffee lean into the coffee mm. well, Barry McGuigan in who is an encyclopedia of information I know Barry of course he uh, everyone knows Barry but I actually personally know him Deck that's yeah. why he's coming and that's <laughs> why he's, he's, he's in the club uh, the father to my former trainer Shane McGuigan was in the gym an awful lot during the tail end of my career when I was training with Shane and you know like always we're looking for someone to help you with some similarities on your journey and he'd been involved in so many huge fights and lots of similarities that I could sort of um, pick out and take his experience from and uh, looking forward to having him come in and, and tell us a few things about his career. He's the, uh, he's the latest member of the club speaking mm-hmm. of members of the club we've had some uh, we've had some messages we've had we've had a ton of ton of messages we've had there. a heap of them and we gotta say so grateful for all of them keep them coming in good bad and ugly go on George why, why don't you read positive. that Should yeah we'll start positive one? go on go first one right what, 71 Terry 27 go on 71 Terry 27 right. legend he listened to the first couple of episodes he really enjoyed them Bosh. I think he undersold the really enjoyed them but yeah. loved the content and insight into the mindset and things that go on that the public don't see now that is a very good point because that's what we're trying to do isn't that it? was the plan Dave. that's it and you know sometimes when we do these pods we're like are we even doing what we hope to do but old 71 Terry 27 
thanks for that because we it's bolstered us because that's what we want to do. And actually, if there's any epi- any fe- themes and features that people want to outside of boxing thing, I've never known what that means, but I wish I did. Get it? T- tell us about it because we'll do an episode on it. Yeah, we 100%. will. We will. We haven't run out of ideas. No, it does. I know it sounds like we're asking people to do our job for us. Yeah, but we are. Yeah. So please, anything you can think of, yeah, bring it in. We also had a message in from C Puds ninety four. Love C Puds ninety four. Blinding episode. Blinding episode. That was about, yeah, going about the Sourland, Sourland brothers. That, that was a banger. It was a banger. Mm. Yeah. They, they, I mean, they're always on the form. Unless you get, get both of them in. The only thing we didn't manage to do was to get them sparring, <laughs> which was, we were close. <laughs> on an audio podcast, so it's a bit of a waste, isn't it? It's just we got a camera in Yeah. Lots of German swearing. I'll tell you what, George, you, you can read us out, but I, I heard that Carlos Chap has been in touch as well. He's loving the podcast. Big up Carlos I mean, That's what he said. He said, he said, loving the podcast. And sometimes that's all that needs to be said. Yeah, loving the podcast. And if you're not loving it, I'll probably keep that to yourself, actually. Do we want to hear that? Yeah, might as well send it in if you, if you, if you hate it as well. Underscore Instaman, double N. Underscore and the double N. So he's, he's singling himself out. Is there. it Instaman or Instaman? <laughs> I'm saying Instaman. I reckon it is like Herman. Oh, instrument. Yeah, probably instrument. Instrument, instrument. Can you let us know? Anyway, he said these pods are brilliant. Get Eddie Hearn on it. It would be great to listen to him talking about your relationship and dealings with him. Now, funny you should say that. Eddie Hearn, top of our hit list. Maybe not number one, but he's up there. He's in or about. He's, he's ranked with the WBO. I'd like to get I'd Eddie on. I'd love to get Eddie in. He's ducking us so far. He's a busy boy, though, isn't he? He's busy. I haven't even tried to reach out because I don't want to get left on a, you know, on a blue tick mm. probably not even a blue tick actually no I'm going to have to I think it's it's an in-person job like an ambush where he's like yeah 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 no problem mate yeah That's well we're softening up we're I mean s- probably doing impressions I'm not going to help but if you can do a really good impression we can just pretend he was here yeah <laughs> <laughs> I've listened to enough of him over the years I reckon well, Eddie Ernst says it sounds a bit like he's been in Swindon <laughs> So he's got a little Swindon twang. Down the M4. Anyway, I think that's enough comment. Keep them coming in. Keep them coming in. Keep sending us ideas for music as well for the playlist because the playlist is is big now. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really real exciting. P- people, are, people are in. Should we bring Barry in? I think we've got to get him in. Come, Barry. Let's Come go. On, Barry. Special guest here today. Deck, Hall of Famer. And that's just you. No, no, no. <laughs> Trumps me by a long way. It's my good friend, Barry McGuigan. Barry, thanks for coming on the show, mate. It's all, uh, I, I, uh, delighted to be on with you, George. We're trying to create a club. Great. We want anyone who listens yeah. has joined the club. Great. You're in now. Well, I, I, I'm, in, I'm in, so I... I'm, you can't I'm, leave. There's no subs. You yeah. haven't got to pay. Yeah, <laughs> just is. Yeah. That's great. Well, just I'm, make sure you do your running and make sure you, do, you, you we weigh yourself keep after every session. Keep your weight down. But I tell you what, look, why don't we start there at the very beginning, Barry? Mm-hmm. You made the Wattlebridge Amateur Boxing Club very, very famous. That's what right. makes, if you look back at it, if you look back now, knowing what you know, what do you think makes a good amateur boxing club? Coaches and an enthusiastic back team. So you need a good secretary for competition secretary. A couple of coaches, ideally, who are enthusiastic and really want to, you know, want to make the guys improve and are willing to travel to other clubs to get sparring. Because George will tell you, even the fundamentals is, is you, you teach basic uh, stance, guard, footwork, but then you have to you have to instill technique in them and courage and courage comes from getting into sparring that's the most difficult thing for kids the, the most difficult thing to overcome for youngsters is actually that first spar those embryonic stages where you're getting the kids in for the first couple of spars are the most crucial if you want to get them out the other end as decent amateur boxers 
how um how quickly were you sparring then? You said it was important to be sparring with you. Well, I'd already been sparring with my brother, so yeah, yeah. but he was my only sparring partner because when I went to the club, there was a guy called Paul Connolly who's a guard. And he had won the Irish seniors for Wattlebridge. And, uh, but he was based down in Port Leash uh, in the guards. And, and although he was from the countryside about four miles away, he was no longer actively involved with the club because he was that now in the guards. He was representing Wattlebridge and the guards, mm. basically. But he was based down there. So, but it, it was just after about sort of four or five months, I, I got no sparring. So I just, left and we went to the Smithborough Club which had started in the 1960s and it closed after about four years and then it reopened again so when I went out there there was a whole host of guys there and I could get sparring but you know reasonably quickly I was good so to spar the men and spar the bigger guys so but that's how it started. Mm. How quickly were you sparring George after you walked in the, the doors at the Dow? Yeah, so I'd done uh, kickboxing, the infamous, everyone's done kickboxing. Oh, right. <laughs> yeah, so I was a kickboxer, weren't I, like everyone else? But I'd actually fought on the, the pro shows um, from a real early age, like eight, nine years old. And being. But you're pretty successful at it, right? Yeah, I was good at it, but everyone else is in kickboxing, isn't there? There's a, there's a lot <laughs> Someone's world, got to lose. There's a lot of world, world champions there. Um, How many years were you kickboxing before you went to the so club? So three years. Wow, three so years? Three years I was kickboxing from seven. Uh, I did both, so I stopped when I was 13, but started boxing when I was 10, so I did both for, for a few years. Um, and the, the the old Dale Youth, which was in a in a morgue, converted morgue God in uh, Notting Hill. <laughs> yeah, it was a bit morbid in there. Uh, you, there, was, <laughs> there was no room for anyone or anything, and there was definitely no room for spectators. But I'm like a kid, I'm 10 years old, do you know what I mean? And it was uh, from Hammersmith to uh, sort of Latmer Road, where we were, it was a fair distance. My dad sort of had to linger around. My dad would just be sort of, awkwardly in the way for the first couple of weeks <laughs> and Ernie Harris who's sadly no longer with us he was the competition secretary who was brilliant again yes. you know made sure all the kids were looked after matched properly everything that was needed to be taken care of he, he would do that and he said to my dad one day how you getting on uh, and my dad said yeah yeah I'm just brought, brought my lad down just having a look and uh, he was so offended yeah. <laughs> the fact that he thought we were there to scout out the club if it was good oh enough because Ernie's like we had seven national champions last year. <laughs> um, my dad told me, don't tell anyone you're doing in kickboxing. Just yeah, keep go, that quiet. Just keep that quiet because I don't know whether he thought someone would try and take a liberty with me or he didn't like the idea of people because we'd see people come to the kickboxing club and say, oh, I've done this, I've done that and you put them in they're useless. Yeah. So un undersell yourself. So uh, Peter Carson, who was one of the one of the coaches down there at the time, he used to say, "I'll take the sausage mob." So he, anyone who was no good, <laughs> he used to try and take him in the side room and take him on pads. So I was part of the sausage mob, but not for long. Um, <laughs> and you could hear me trying to wah, 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 trying to bash away on these pads. So he'll be all right, Mick. Get, get, get George or whatever they call you. They, they never call you by your real name for like at least two years because they can't remember <laughs> it. It's like too uh, many to remember. Yeah, uh, I just went in and um, yeah. Bash, bash, living, living granny out of a bunch of the newbies down there. Yeah, yeah. What sort of age were you, Barry, at this point, that, that first bout? I was 12. Wow. Um, I was 12 when I, I, I mean, that, that that's a pretty uh, advanced age. But, I mean, the nearest sort of decent club to us, you know, big club was Inniskillen ABC, which was run by a guy called uh, Campbell. And uh, Davey actually ended up being a professional fighter. His father, da Davey Senior, ran the club for many years. But, you know, we went north and south 
even in the midst of all the trouble. So, and it was t- treacherous stuff traveling through you know, along the border, and you come round the corner, and the army would be out with these little red lights, and you'd have the maybe a couple of all you see men with them. You come round the corner, at 60, 70 miles an hour. You know, <laughs> you weren't supposed to be doing that, <laughs> but that's the way we drove. <laughs> and we come round the corner, my old man, and, and slamming on the brakes, and it was like it was scary, scary stuff. Uh, you kind of became accustomed to it, and and if you had a pair of sort of boxing gloves hanging on the on the the, the rear view mirror, uh, they let you go through. I mean, once they knew you were involved in boxing, there was like almost like a, a special dispensation. Don McCrea wrote that book a couple of years ago about it, um, and it was uh, you know boxing had almost you, you you had like a dispensation. You could go through to different places, and I. I used to go to, I used to remember, I remember I used to spar Davy Larmer uh, and he was a young pro, well he wasn't a young pro but he, he left it quite, and, but he's a bantamweight when he won the gold medal in, in 74 in, in Christchurch in the Commonwealth Games and good fighter. Boy, I remember him trying, trying to beat the living daylights out of me. I was only like 17 <laughs> but he, he could, like he really go for it. So there was no, there was nothing held back so I, I remember we went to the Shankill Road and it was a, you know, deeply uh, Protestant area, but you know when you did the gloves on and they knew who you were, what you were doing. I'm going down to Spar David. That's fine. That was like it was almost like you had that free pass because you won. You won the All Irish Championships. Yeah. Yep. So that would North and South actually box each no, other. No, no, no. That, that was the one sport apart from rugby. It's the only other sport that has a 32 county team. Mm. I won this Ulster Seniors in 1978. I remember knocking out. Shawnee Russell, Hugh Russell's brother Sean, in and everybody was like flabbergasted. Never thought I could do it, and I I, I chinned him in a, in the second round, and uh, had this mop of raven hair, and he's boom, and it was like <laughs> mad power happy, you know, trying to flatten everybody. But I nailed him and stopped him, and so I was a choice for the Commonwealth Games team, and we went to Edmonton, Canada. Talk about going to the. Smith Amateur Boxing Club from the Wattle Bridge Club they had a competition secretary who got you fights but then of course I was winning and, and flattening kids and I could bang even when I was a child and so you turn up at a fight and, and nobody would fight you <laughs> yeah. so we often we wouldn't go until we were guaranteed a fight yeah, so that that started really in the mid seventies. I won my first national title in nineteen seventy seven. I won the best boxer of the tournament. It was in Limerick, and uh, and then I was sixteen when I won the Ulster Seniors. So when the Commonwealth Games team came along, I was picked, and that's really the start of it all. Um, and I then went to uh, and won the Irish Seniors. I only won one national senior title, believe it or not, because I broke my hand in 1979. I was out representing Ireland in Romania, won the gold medal won the, in a multinational term, but I broke my hand and then the seniors were coming up, so I missed them and I couldn't win them. So the next year, I knew it was Moscow, 1980, the Olympic year. So I won the Irish uh, seniors then and won the under-21s. And the guy that beat me in the Irish juniors was a guy called Mick Holmes. He beat me in, and they were all taught to fight and punch in combinations like pros instead of the big sort of jabbing and, and stealing points like the amateurs did. So uh, he beat me in the Irish juniors. I was furious and I'm going to get you back. So in the Irish under-21s, we boxed in Drogheda and I knocked him out. I chinned him properly. And uh, 
I, I was delighted and determined to do it again in the Irish in the Irish seniors, but I couldn't get I couldn't get him out in the Irish seniors. But that was Moscow year. And then I went to the European juniors and I won two fights and then I fought a guy, uh, I knocked out a Czechoslovakian guy. Uh, no, he was from Yugoslavia, and uh, and I stopped the Italian, and then in the semi-finals I fought a guy called Yuri Dladyshev, who won the World Junior Championships in December '79, and the Irish wouldn't send the team out there, and I fought him, and I beat the living daylights out of him, and they gave it to him, and I was so f- f- furious. He was tricky and, and awkward, but I you know, battered him, and then I went home. And of course, it was picked for the Olympic Games. So then I had to just, you know, uh, get myself back, you know, back at it. But you, you speak there and you were traveling all over Ireland, obviously representing Ireland as well. And, you know, George had it with, with London and, you know, Joe Kazagi in Wales and Josh Warrington in Leeds. That feeling of belonging, that feeling of of representing, representation, how important was that to you? And how did that feel at that time in your life? No, no, it was hugely important. And, and it's, it's interesting because I, I, I move, I'll move on from there because I, I won the Commonwealth Games gold medal. And I remember coming home to after winning the gold and I was I was lucky in the final. I fought a, a guy, a Papua Guinea guy called Tumat Sigolik. What a name. <laughs> and I'll tell you what, he could punch, my God. There were only two times I was ever like didn't know where I was in, in, in the fights were against him and against Juan Laporte just before I fought for the world title and uh, this guy could he was built I'll never forget you know the way they used to send out like the bantamweights and the lightweights yeah. and then they'd send out the flyweights and the featherweights so there was two weight divisions right so I'm walking to the ring and look across and said that must be the lightweight <laughs> 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 I get into the ring and I go let me help you because he was built like I swear to God almighty he had arms on him like my legs and he dropped me but I'd never been hit like in my life Christ almighty it was a tremendous punch yes so the that was the Commonwealth Games. Yeah. So I fought for Northern Ireland in the Commonwealth Games because, as I mentioned, my, my, my father's family were all from County Tyrone. My mum's family from were from Rosslea, which is just over the border from Clonus in County Fermanagh. But I remember coming back to Monaghan and they had a big reception in Monaghan. There wasn't that many people. There was probably 150 people. You know, I'd, I'd represented Northern Ireland, right? And it's in the middle of the Troubles and it's 78, which is, you know, it started in the late 60s. So they were escalating all the time. And I heard the rumblings of a few guys at the back, sort of, mm, no, I'm not sure I want to be here supporting that. And they just walked into this crowd and thought, what's going on, you know? So you could feel it at that stage that there was, you know, there was, Clonus was a Republican town, like, big Republican town and Monaghan was as well so uh, Monaghan town was the you know the, the the county town you know Monaghan itself so you could feel the tension and so then when I fought and I took out British citizenship to fight for the British title uh, you know there would have been the hardened Republicans who were <laughs> would not have liked it the majority of people 95% of the population liked me and, and, and loved the fact that uh, you know I could fight, I was aggressive, and I was entertaining. But there would have been the hard-bitten loyalists and the hard-bitten Republicans that would not have been friends of mine. So it was a it was a very tense and treacherous time. And then, of course, when Barney Eastwood, and he was probably the instigator of it, and I went along with it, we, we boxed with... You know the the United Nations flag of peace. Our shorts were my shorts were made out of that in the blue dove of peace with the with the with the dove on my shorts, 
and we were said we're not going to get involved in all this politics and you know uh, and you know and my dad sang Danny Boy which was very important to us Danny Boy was a everybody owned Danny Boy it wasn't just a Protestant or a Catholic song and as I say the music and sport were, were, were normally the things that you didn't touch I remember, for example, when I beat Sean Russell and the Ulster Seniors, we had, a couple of weeks later, East Germany were doing a tour of... Now, this was East Germany. This is before the wall came down, right? So these guys were all on steroids and were all trained and from a knee-high to a grasshopper taken off. Their families, if they showed talent, were brought into the cities and they were trained and trained and brought to school. And So it was a proper professional regime so these guys were all really super elite talented and uh, I I got to fight and again I remember the name of the guy and it was in the Shankill Road right the Shankill Road Social Club which was the Protestant side of town and Jerry's story because he was so heavily involved in keeping harmony amongst the different religions he because it was his team they were sacrosanct they were, nobody would ever touch them and so uh, and I remember going into this club and it was like just heaving, absolutely heaving. And you will remember, but even in, in your time, like the, some of these nightclubs, there'd be no air conditioning, were like roasting warm, <laughs> uh, people smoking their brains out and you're in there <laughs> trying to fight and after like two seconds, your mouth was arid and dry. And yeah. <gasps> but, but anyway, so we were in this place and uh, apparently we was told later that there was a, a mile of a section cordoned off around this that nobody could come into. But I remember fighting this guy, this East German guy, who just beaten the national champion down in Dublin at Bantamweight. And he was six foot tall and he was 54 kilograms. Nice. And he wasn't skinny, George. He was slender, of course, but he had wide shoulders and his name was Torsten Koch. And he had he was beautiful boxing, great great skill. Gussie Farrell was the was the Irish bantamweight champion, and he was in my sights for the national title. And uh, he boxed the years off Gussie Farrell and wobbled him, gave him a couple of counts. And I thought, right now I'm going to have a go at this guy. And, and Jerry Jerry Story wanted me to prove that I could beat him, so I beat this guy. The crowd went apoplectic, and uh, I just ran after him the whole way around the <laughs> ring, and nonstop on him, on him, on him, and uh, uh, and I won. Winning that was really important, but more importantly, it was in the middle of all the worst trouble, and we were in deep into. East Belfast, you know, up in uh, up in the Protestant side of town, where you know all these people, working class people, were, and they were exactly like the, the the Catholics. They were all very tense because of the trouble, and 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 it was just such an amazing atmosphere. I remember my dad got up with the band and he sang a couple of songs because Dad was a professional singer, and and it went it just brought, it brought the house down. So we had a particularly good night that night. Your dad sounds like a fantastic man. Yeah, he was he was great fun. Do you know the the quote that comes? Do you know the Rocky quote when Adrian says to Rocky? How come you become a fighter? And he says, because I can't sing or dance. Like, <laughs> <laughs> is that what he said to you, Barry? No, no. I know you well, can I, sing I, can, I actually can oh, sing. Yeah. No, no, that cool. sounds very bumptious, but uh, <laughs> I, I can hold a tune. Not like him, but but I can I can hold a tune. I read a story about him. He had a particularly famous support act in yeah. Malta. 
Yeah. Oh yes, indeed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. David Bowie was was <laughs> was it was after the Eurovision Song Contest in '68. He was out in in Malta, uh, and he was the the big act, right? <laughs> and, and David Bowie was on the undercard. On the undercard. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, uh, that's 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 a fact. Uh, but he, so he he was you know as I say. Uh, well traveled, and he used to go to New York uh, to what the band with the various bands that he was in. They they would go to do a six week stint in in the Bronx in a, a big Irish club which had two or three floors on it, and um, it was called Dirty Nellies. And uh, he used to his usual thing every day. He'd pop down to Gleason's to watch all the fighters training. He got friendly with um, the lawyer, Rudy Greco. That was it. Rudy Greco was was the. That's a good lawyer name. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and Rudy was the was was the lawyer, and he was a really generous guy. And he said, "Dad came down. He befriended Dad, and Dad said, i 'I've got a young kid who's doing well. He's I, I think uh, I had just sort of turned pro at that stage. So he went out there every year right through the eighties, and uh, and he do a six weeks stint. So it was quite quite a long stint, and and it was obviously profitable for him and the band and all of that. But his Every day he would go down and watch the guys training. And Rudy was uh, said to him, you know, you must come up to the Catskills with me. I want to show you this kid. He's called Michael Gerald Tyson. And he said, yeah, yeah. And he came home and said, Barry, this kid is like <laughs> phenomenal. He's, you know, re, you, know, re, you know, he was joking. He said, remortgage your house <laughs> and put all the money on, on this guy winning the, the title. But, you know, I, 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 I'm joking. But that's how excited... He was about him, but so he turned out to be great. But I, you know, and I've got pictures of him, and t there's a picture of Tyson, a little Polaroid picture, and my dad standing beside Tyson, and uh -huh. he was like, he was only a kid himself, but like really muscular. And after after working out with with Cuss, and I don't think Kevin Rooney had come in at that stage. But Rooney came in afterwards. I think uh, Teddy Atlas was still was still involved. How, how hard is that at, the, at that time, bro? You mentioned Mike Tyson; he obviously had to deal with it a lot, yeah. but. You know, and everyone wants a piece of you. How do you manage that? Well, the interesting thing was I, I was always very approachable and very uh, kind to people and always give them time and always spend time with people. And, and uh, my poor brother, God rest him, he, he said to me, Barry, stop this, mate. You can't, you know, spend five minutes talking to everybody because otherwise you'll have, your days will be, it'll be gone. So there's no doubt about it that I enjoyed that. I enjoyed talking and communicating with people. Uh, and of course you like, even when you see people light up, it makes you feel good about yourself, you know. And, and that, it's always, it was as much for me as it was for them, but I always give people time. Does that resonate with you, George? You know, that feeling that when you're knocking about in West London and people want to chat to you and talk to you all the time, yeah, it's nice. It's nice. Because you've got to make a decision, haven't you? Am I going to be, am I going to give everyone my time or am I going to just try and shut it off and not try and not, yeah. not do any of it? I mean, but Barry's, Barry's much more skillful than I am at conversations. <laughs> no, no, absolutely <laughs> but, not. Uh, you know, sometimes people want to talk to you about boxing all the time and you realise, I've forgotten to develop any conversational skills. You know, and I go, well, what do you do for a living metal and plumber? All right, uh, I've got no follow-up question for that. <laughs> you know, but I really want to talk about you because I don't want to talk about boxing today. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, it's unrivaled, really, your popularity at the time. The fact that the open tour bus after you win the belt at Loftus Road, yeah. both in the north and in yeah. the south, is phenomenal. The fact that you box for a world title in London as yeah. well yeah. just shows you... Well, Pedroza wouldn't come. Mm. Pedroza wouldn't come to Belfast because he'd watched the ABC had covered me from 84 and I'd, I'd so this first fight I had on American TV 
coast to coast was against a guy called Paul Divorce. And he was a little chunky guy just carved out of marble, really tough kid from New York. And uh, I, I beat him up and stopped him in the sixth round, but he was raw, strong and heavy-handed. And I, But I boxed him, and, but moved around and stayed in the centre of the ring and then just attacked him and put it on him because most people stood off him. So I put it on him and he, he couldn't handle the pace and I just went at him and non, non-stop. And the jab was great that night, slapping it into his head. And, and American TV were there and... Um, Boza Edwards was on the undercard and he fought uh, another. He just lost the world super featherweight title. I remember sparring with him in, in uh, up in Barney's gym. Our last, he was with with us for the last sort of couple of weeks, and in Castle Street. And uh, I remember thinking, wow, he's big, big for the for the weight. And I think that hurt him because he was really a lightweight, but he boiled down down to super feather. It hurt him to try and get back to that way because again you weighed in in the morning mm. you fought in the afternoon you know what I'm saying you you didn't have time to put on 15 16 pounds that people do nowadays and sometimes more George <laughs> <laughs> never more but yeah I get, you, I get your point you know what I mean? um, I'm only joking being no, facetious no, no, but, but uh, you know you, the modern day guys are you know and, and, and what you do is you train for that you train for that weight, so you, you if you're walking around at, you know, for example, I used to walk around at one forty seven, one forty six, and I'd, so which is ten stone six, ten stone seven, but I fought at nine stone, and I always trained, so I never allowed myself to blow up to enormous weights, but I would go to one forty five, one fifty sometimes, so that's big, especially when you're fighting on the day. But what I do is, in that eight weeks of of preparation, I would grind it down and hold it, grind it down to the next little bit. You know, in other words, drop my weight a little bit more, hold it again, and so that you were you you were getting stronger at that weight. Barry, can I ask? I think it'd be fascinating for not just. Um, fighters who are competing now but people who listen at home maybe trying to get themselves in shape can you talk us a little bit about the training you was doing back when you was fighting and maybe even some stuff that you think is different to what you've seen Shane doing with his fighters yeah. now in the gym obviously you was preparing for 15 rounds as well which for me is like <laughs> I mean it takes your breath away when, when you're actually fighting and you're three rounds in and you're like for me, in my brain, I'll be like, oh, I'm just starting. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, you know, uh, the interesting thing, if, it, if it's, in, and you've been in some hellish fights, George, so you know, if you're blowing out your arse, you're four rounds into a fight and you, from halfway through the first round, you've been busting your nuts and you're, you're fighting at a real heavy pace. Unless you've done, and I know because I saw you, you know, hundreds of rounds of sparring, intense sparring at intense pace, you're going to be flagging. I've sparred very similar to you. We we got in so many South American guys. We we got in this guy called uh, Jose Marmaleo who who fought Antonio Asparagosa for the World Featherweight title. Looked very like Pedroza, uh, similar style. We got a, a, and a guy called Ezekiel Mosquite who was a lightweight from Panamanian lightweight champion. We got in Carmelo Negron, little small chunky guy from New York. Gerald Hayes, who was who had fought Pedroza and gone to the nine rounds of them. Uh, I think he was stopped in the ninth round. Obviously, haven't had the experience, and he was great sparring too. Then we had David Irvine, who was a, 
at welterweight. We had a guy called Pepe Moore who was a light welterweight. We had uh, Davy McCauley used to spar him. What we do with Davy because Davy was a, a feather or a flyweight, they threw uh, Davy in at the end. But you know, and we didn't hold. I didn't hold back. Yeah. And I remember him saying one time in boxing, you know, McQuiggan's a bastard because my attitude. And I remember being on the Irish team. We'd be training and I would put in an extra couple of rounds on the pads and say, I'd implore Jerry's story to do an extra few rounds. Okay, he said, and they hit the bag and I'd do the skipping and in the sprints, I was always trying to beat everybody in the sprints and we'd yep. do two miler, two and a half miles as fast as we could run. I was always up at the front, pushing, pushing, pushing. And the guys used to say to me like, what are you doing? And I said, because... I'm doing it because, you know, if I get four fights into an international competition, I'm going to need that extra bit. I used to bomb along, and so we, we never ran with the sparring partners, never. In down in Clonus, it would be longer runs, and, and I'd have either my brother-in-law Ross on the bike with me, or I'd have somebody else running with me. I used to have a guy called John Doherty, who was a cop, who was a guard in the south of Ireland. He ran with me. He was a good runner. Yeah, and then I'd train again in the evening. So I was always training. And so that when I get to camp, that really was when I started thinking about, you know, sparring. Mm-hmm. And we'd do loads of pads at home. And then I'd go in, I'd be sharp as a razor when I get to camp. Then I'd start sparring. And then we'd go right through. You know, I don't think I ever done a camp longer than eight weeks. And it was just about weight management after that and then taking it down slowly. I think I'd done two 15-round spars. One was before the Pedroza fight. I remember then doing 15 rounds one other time for the uh, fight against Bernard Taylor, uh, which was in the in, he was mandatory defence. He was Pedroza's mandatory defence. The WBA let him have a voluntary against me and then on the basis that if I won I would pick up the, the mandatory against him uh, it was in the King's Hall and Taylor was called the BT Express and he was like brilliantly talented like so good he'd built he'd beat the uh, Cuban Adolfo Horto who fought Rudy Fink in the final but boxed the ears of him and beat him a number of times so he was a world class talent who didn't turn up in Moscow so he had turned over and everybody was raving about him beautiful squ- skills and, and love to move and quick as lightning like Sugar Ray Leonard style have a look at him if you get a chance really was great to watch but I knew that I, I just I just put him under pressure and just never leave him alone and uh, that's exactly what happened I, I fought him in my first defence and I'd done a 15 rounder again but this time it was in the gym and my weight was good it was at the end of September I'd fought in June and beat Pedroza I had to pick this up reasonably quickly so it was September in the King's Hall it was still reasonably hot the place was absolutely banging and walking to the ring he was intimidated no question uh-huh. about it and uh, the, the, the the noise was deafening and I never left him alone as soon as that bell went I just went on you I was looking interestingly enough last night at the at the you know you look up box wreck and you see your record and you can go back and, and look at the points I was three rounds ahead on two of the cards and two rounds ahead on the other one. But I, I just walked him down, walked him down and he just, I, I could feel him breathe. <sighs> and I knew, and I was I was nailing him to the body and I hit him a few times, the referee warned me and I, I lifted it up a bit higher. And I used to I used to throw the left hook up the middle and deliberately lifted, lifted in so they would put their elbow in. Yeah. And then I'd come, i go, bump. The first one was light. The second one, I'd just stick it in their, in their short ribs with that long left hook round the side. And then I could listen. 
and I showed them and go, oh! <laughs> and and when it when I I knew, I knew that every time I knew that I'd hurt them, then I'd be just da, 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 on them, on them, on them, you know. That was your, that was the first offence, right? That was the first offence. You must have felt at that point you were at the peak of your powers, like the fame, well, but uh, also you're in the ring. You must yeah. have just felt invincible at that point. Well, I, I never felt invincible. Uh, um, it was hard work. I was always a realist. I was always aware of my frailties and you're only as good as your latest opponent you know what I'm saying so you have to you have to continue to train and put the effort in and everything else so I was never cocky I was always very humble and always aware of what was around the corner as it were um, and so the next defence then I was supposed to fight a guy from Argentina and he pulled out twice Fernando Sosa was his name that was my second defence and it was in Dublin. We decided because of all the politics we'd, we'd fought in, in the north, second defence was going to be in Dublin. It was at the end of February 1986. I'll never forget it. I was in the hotel at, um, at Dublin uh, near the rugby ground and Wales was playing Ireland in the afternoon and then they went to Lansdowne or went to the RDS to watch me in the, in the evening but I never got a, a, a wink sleep the night before because there's so much people walking up and down and anyway I, I, I stopped him in the 13th round he was a tough kid I, I hit him with everything he could just like rubber he could take so many shots but I, I got him out of there in the in the 13th had him down in the eighth, gone completely, and the referee made a complete hands of it. He, he, I ran over down and bam, 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 and his legs were going, and, and their corner jumped up on the side of the ring, and the referee sort of left the action and ran over to the to to the corner and gave off to this guy, and I sort of stopped and held back. Uh, um, <laughs> I <nice>. should do, <laughs> um, but anyway, it was it was it was great fun, uh, and it was great fun, and it was he was a tough kid, and he went. 12 rounds with or 11 rounds with the Zuma Nelson too so he could he could fight this kid and could take a good shot that's the worst when you think a fight is over as well yeah. and you think oh, I've won this yeah. and then it's not over yet <laughs> you're you like a bit it's like finishing off. a run and yeah. then you're like oh yeah. go go yeah. <laughs> another lap really yeah, exactly. <laughs> same happened with the Tudinov fight didn't it I remember you sort of gesturing to the referee like yeah I mean not quite as bad because it, it was it was near enough over edge. straight yeah, away yeah. yeah but then there's a couple of fights where yeah, you but think, it went it went on as Steve Gray and it went Stop on, it! Stop yeah. it! <laughs> <laughs> <Steve>. <laughs> Whenever you're ready, well, yeah. exactly. Yeah, I mean that was that was a that was a beat down. I mean, it was such such great excitement in Bramley in that night. Yeah. It's fabulous. That, that so that fight that second defence was that was early '86. But George, we've got it written down there. What else happened in 1985 that was notable for Barry as well as winning the world title? Right, this is just showing the level of... Level of fame. Level of fame. Yeah. T- Tiger Woods level of Tiger fame. Tiger Woods level, yeah. <laughs> Barry McGuigan. Yeah. The the release of your own computer game. Yeah. In 1985, it was Barry McGuigan's World Championship. Yeah, yeah that's right. That's right. It was a, a Barry McGuigan's boxing world or whatever it was. Mm. I, d- I don't remember it that long ago, but I remember it, 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 at the time it was... Big stuff, and it was people. Lo- people loved it. They said it was a great game. Not it is a great played. game. Yeah. I've watched. I watched yeah, on YouTube. Yeah, yeah. I wish I could have yeah. played it. <laughs> Barry McGuigan, World Championship Boxing. You can do like a career mode, I assume, where you go through and you're fighting these different fighters, and then you could stipulate how much training you wanted to do to develop yourself in particular areas. All right, there we've you got go. light bag. 
Yes. Uh, heavy bag. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take uh, light, please. Yeah. <laughs> Road work, weights, and sparring time. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So that's, what, pretty, that's pretty intricate then. It says, yeah. Yeah, even then it was pretty good. You know, weights is interesting. That's, that the strength and conditioning thing has become, that you know, since... I've talked about this with George before, but that's that's a new thing. We we I did bench press and squat, but I, there was nothing more than that. And and what we do press ups, chin ups, dips. That was it. Uh, and you chin this way, you chin that way, and you you dip and you do wide uh, press ups, wide you know your stance or your hands wide apart or narrow shoulder width apart, and that was it. And then you'd crunch and you do uh, lunges. And maybe hold a couple of dumbbells, but there was that was the that was the sort of height of strength and conditioning training. As well now is people have totally disregarded the stuff that worked for generation after generation of stuff that Barry's describing now. And like you speak to a strength and conditioning coach, you're like, do some press ups and they pull a funny look at you as they say, What's the point in that? We can do some, you know, med ball throws or this with your heart rate monitor on it. And it gets a little bit too clever and a little bit too complicated yeah. when really it's a fairly simple. Game, it's a fairly simple business, isn't it? You can't leapfrog that bit. Yeah, you need that too. And that's what happens when you join as an amateur mm. kid. You know, mm. they don't have the usually they don't have the facilities. You're not all gonna get an individual strength program. They're going to line you all up and do press-ups, sit-ups, skipping, squats, weighted, you know, non-weighted squats, bodyweight squats, stuff like that. Just the fundamentals. Yeah. Do you clash heads at all with Shane about this? Because he's very cutting-edge, new, new no, school. No, he, he's, he's, he's new. On he's, on, he's on strength and condition. He, that's what he started off doing. And then I got him to hold the pads for one of the fighters. And, and uh, then it all started, you know. But he's big on... Uh, S&C there's no doubt about that but you know only to an extent it's not going to make you you know it's no point in having muscles the size of the room here if you can't fight you can you either fight or you can't fight so fighting Steve Cruz in Vegas mm -hmm. which you know at the time of day you're boxing is going to be 110 degree mm -hmm. heat and you know that before the fight starts anyway. Mm -hmm. Did you do anything different in that camp and that condition? Well we, what we did is we went I went to Palm Springs which uh, is about an hour and a half south of Vegas. And we trained out there. And we trained in a tent at the back of the hotel, which is on the golf club. And it was like <laughs> bacon, bacon. But yeah, again, I don't think I could ever have won in Vegas outside because it was 110 degrees ringside. But you're forgetting that the arc lights of the television made it another 100 made it 120 degrees. Of course. So Tommy Hearns was on before that against Mark Medal, but he, he flattened him. But I, I, I don't know that I could, uh, you know, if you think about this, I could never have fought to my capacity in that heat. 15 rounds that was, and obviously that was what, what you did. Yeah. Do you feel, I mean, George is boxing over 12, I already said that, sort of the idea of doing 15 is crazy, but... If you do it in the gym, you can do it in the ring. And, and I knew that I was still... I was still lots to go when I was when I'd done ten rounds of sparring, and so we hike it to twelve, and then we do, and we only, and, and I'm I'm sure you know we've done it with you, George, that you only have to do it once or twice in preparation for a fight, and it, it's more a psychological thing than anything else, but it also helps in weight reduction, if you're uh, if you're sparring. 10, 12, 15 rounds. It's, it's, but once you've done it, and, and I, 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 I wrote it down here, I think I had five planned 15 round fights. So, and I, and I went the distance only twice one winning the title and once <laughs> losing it. But, um, 
it's in your mind so much of this stuff and the game, the whole the fight game is so much about your psychology and you know it's about your preparation preparation is absolutely essential so if you're banging the pads and hitting it really hard and you know Shane could tell from George 10 rounds into a pad session he's really whacking now and he's done 10 rounds so you know that he's not going to have any trouble doing 12 rounds and to an extent it's, it's only an extension of that uh, from doing 15 and I, I had a very high level of fitness slow heart rate 44 heart rate I remember being getting ready for the Commonwealth Games and I was a kid and they, they, we were in the Holy Family Club and after doing a a, a collective training session and, and um, I can't remember the name of the doctor but anyway he came in and took all of our heart rates pronounced you dead and, Barry, <laughs> and, and, he, and he went like and I, we were after doing it we have done a session it's about an hour and a half after the session and he's just doing the medical first so he took my heart rate and had a big strong pulse slow so it's 44 heart rate so I had a good strong heart and I so I was built for stamina yeah, put it that engine. way a good yeah. engine so so that that definitely helped me and I was physically strong and you know I could bench press 150 pounds when I was 14 years old I was really physically strong I could do you know 80 press ups and 60 dips still doing them at, at, at 61 Seen years it. old it's, it's so, impressive so uh, you know so I, physically strong and that was my asset I wasn't as good a boxer the majority of the guys that were on the Irish team they were probably skillfully marginally better than me but I had great strength and I, I had drive just like George I mean he could just he would go through a brick wall because he knew he had to and it's like it's so much of it is about your mentality and you know taking shots learning how to take a shot getting hit to the body which I'll never forget in Romania and this member I mentioned this amateur tournament and uh, this southpaw guy and he was probably 10 years older than me but he was a seasoned amateur and he was a Romanian senior champion and it was a semi-finals of this multinational tournament. And he, we were up close. And the referee, you, you always have a, I don't know about you, but you're always aware of the, the side of your eye, the referee's always there. He's either right or left. But he's always there and you're always conscious of him. And I, we were sort of mid-range and the referee went, break! And I sort of looked at him, right? And this guy buried his, he was a southpaw, <laughs> buried this backhand right up into my stomach. And I went, <gasps> <laughs> it was the panic and I took I took it <laughs> and thank God it was the third round right and the uh, uh, referee I was absolutely banjax it was proper left right up the middle and it was I was way ahead <laughs> so I'd box the years of him and I'd hit him some good shots and whatever he took a count in the first round Jesus he hit me this shot up the middle and, and, and anyway so I went down I took every second of the count I got back up and the referee says Okay, and I, <laughs> and, he, and I ran like a rapper around the ring. He chased after me, chased after me, and I grabbed and held him, held him. And the referee warned me and told me off. But I got to the end of the round. God Almighty, I never got hit like it in my life. It was terrible. What do you reckon, George? Fifteen rounds. Sometimes when they're like, when it's just a little bit more physical and a little bit more grueling, then I mean, there's been fights where I've been miles ahead in points, but I remember when I boxed Christopher Brass after the straight after losing to Froch. And then after like round two going, oh, I'm counting down these rounds now. Yeah. And if it was 15 rounds, yeah. then like, I've got 13 rounds to go. And yeah. I'd be like, you know you're going to get there, but it's like, oh, it's going to be a long night's yeah. work. 
I remember saying after you saying that, George, I remember saying after the 13th round, Paddy Byrne was a, a cuts man in our corner. He was a great old, just a great old wise a head on his shoulders. He was originally from Dunleary in Dublin, spent most of his life in Brighton and was a cuts man in the corner. A funny, lovely guy. I used to work with Mogens Pally in Denmark and over in Europe. Brilliant guy. And we always had him in the corner as well. So I remember he saying, what round is this? And he goes, so 13, I said, the 13th round. And he says, yeah. He says, you have two rounds to beat one of the best featherweight champions in a long time. <laughs> I went, seriously, he says, and so I, I, you know, my adrenaline was up so much, I didn't know where, I, I didn't, it's not, I, not that I didn't know where I was in the fight, mm. but I knew I was doing well. So I, I, I didn't, I wasn't tired. I was on a high but a lot of it again is in your head if I had been had the crap beat out of me for three or four rounds I maybe wouldn't have felt so good <laughs> I'd have been counting the rounds but I didn't actually know what round it was it was two rounds to go yeah you end up being a bit of a well I was, was like sometimes you want to be a bit of a control freak so like you sit down and uh, you don't want to ask how was that round because you think the the TV mic might pick it up and it sounds like this fight's close well, we, to That's is. the sort of thing. We were never aware of that because that, 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 that's a, a relatively, well, it's not a relatively modern thing, but think, you know, I won the title 35, 35 years ago. So in the corner, they did pick up stuff and they did make the corners, but it not, you know, it's, it's a sort of, it's an essential part of it now. So you go, so let's go to the, you know, such and such a guy's corner and hear what they have to say. That's a new and intriguing part of, of boxing because mm -hmm. guys like you who are doing the analysis in the studio or whatever, they want to hear what they say and say whether I don't necessarily agree with that mm -hmm. or I think that's a great bit of advice he's given them or whatever. So that's become a part of it as well. And sometimes you hear guys in the corner and you think, what in undercars is he talking about? <laughs> you know, he's just that. It's absolutely dense. But, you know, it, 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 that's that's the way it is. I mean, I remember, like, we went into the Rocky music in 1984 for ABC in America. And they couldn't believe it. They thought, wow, this is great. We were, co we were coming into, you know, dun, dun, da, da, dun, da, da, dun, dun. <laughs> well, the original one, not the, I think that's uh, the, 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 yeah, the, which was a big orchestra one. We came into that and it was like, it was huge and it was a, it was a new idea. We often think we actually invented coming to the ring, you know, to music, but, but it certainly was something new uh, way back in, in, in the sort of mid-1980s. Okay, we'll take a breather there, and then Barry, what we want to do is ask you a bit about your life on the other side of the ropes. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline.
I asked you to help me promote this show, Barry, mm. how would you go about it? To be should we do a role play here? Yeah, go on. <laughs> right. What do you it, reckon, Barry? What's, what's the selling point of this show disclosure, today? disclosure, Barry, it says on the script, ask Barry to say something nice about the show. So that was George's <laughs> setup there. Oh, uh, I mean... Uh, well, well, Don't start, uh, Barry. Straight yeah, to yeah, exactly. no, no, I'm not stuttering. I'm just... Uh, let me just say that I, I said I would come in and do it with you, George, because... Oh, no. <laughs> because, because, first of all, you're bright, you're intelligent, you'd ask me sensible questions, you know your stuff inside out, you know... You don't exaggerate. That's the important thing. And, you know, Dex, excellent journalist. And again, I read his stuff and you cut to the chase. So it's there's no problem having banter, but there's so much bullshit in so many of these podcasts that you just take it all with a pinch of salt. What I think I'm getting from you, and I know I'm getting from you, is honesty. And, you know, at the end of the day, there are great stories. You don't have to, you know, go over the top and and exaggerate them out of all proportion. Just tell tell us as much of the truth as you can. You know, everybody in their lives, and you know, it's a tough business. It's a working class sport. Uh, we meet phenomenal characters, and uh, you know, the we, it's just it seems to be the sport that has the most crazy people in it. You know, there's enough stories <laughs> to write 10 books about. So, uh, you know, just keep it, uh, you know, that sounds like a real cliche, keep it real. But just, I think what you can do, what you can bring to the podcast is just honesty. And, you know, if you've been there, done it, uh, bought the T-shirt and still have the faculties to be able to articulate your thoughts and tell your stories, then, you know, it can't be anything but a success. Then start a podcast. Start a podcast. The That's best, what I'm saying. That's what I'm the, saying. So, the so, best so. boxing podcast on the planet. Of all time. I think <laughs> we could say that. That's an official quote. What level, you say there's most podcasts full of bullshit. I don't percentage. mean. I don't mean. A, that's a, that's a, can you just give us a percentage of what, what we reckon our bullshitometer is at the moment? Oh, you're you're bullshitometer. Yeah. Well, no, I, I just sincerely hope we're not bullshitting at all here. So <laughs> it's one hundred percent at the minute. So uh, there's no bullshit. It's it's you know and, and you know I'm I can have a laugh with everybody else, but I listen to you know some of the stuff and I think, God, that, you know that's an exaggerated story. There's another one. There's another one. But I'm just saying, it seems to be fairly prevalent so um, just <laughs> you must yeah. sign a yeah. you must sign a, sign a waiver when you go in there you tell the truth <laughs> anyway, the truth go. the truth will always what's that what's that saying the truth will set you free yeah <laughs> <laughs> the truth will set you free uh, you're boxing through and through I think uh, fantastic uh, commentator and analysis um, which we don't see enough of these days love it with listening to you on ITV Sky and many others you help with management you're involved with Shane in the gym is that how you get your boxing fix now would you yes, say yes that's exactly how I get my boxing fix um, you know I watch the Irish amateurs and uh, I, I tune in sometimes and watch the uh, Irish ABA cha- championships down in the National Stadium in Dublin and when Shane says he goes that's Cut it out, would you stop? So I, <laughs> I can't get enough. No, no, I enjoy it. I come into the gym two, three times a week. Uh, you know, I like to see the kids uh, just develop and, and get better and, and be there when they've had a hard day and just say, that's it, you know, you have you can't have every day a good day. They're all doing very well. The, the gym's full of, of talented kids and uh, it's very exciting times. Barry's got a phenomenal eye for talent. You know, sometimes when it's been overlooked, you look at the success they had with with Carl Frampton, Josh Taylor, 
and now even in the gym and I'm not saying you've spotted him Barry maybe not but yeah. um, Azeem Brothers seem to be doing really well it's a gift yeah and what, what, what would you say you'd look for in a fighter then would you see that maybe might have been overlooked elsewhere is it it's well, not, I, it can't I, always I, be skill and achievement no I, 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 I'm, I'm I'm a power guy I like, I like guys to have power um, because you know you're born with power and you know as well as I do you you can never make somebody a puncher who's not a puncher. You can improve their power. You can get them to be a little bit more courageous to sit down on the shots, just another nanosecond more that makes the power greater and implore them not to be frightened and move out of the way all the time. You see kids and you can look at them and think they are, they're not going to be a top amateur, but I know they can be a top pro if they get the right coach. I remember sparring with... Sylvester Mitty and Ray Catus and Jim Watt way back in the 70s. I remember coming over as this 15-year-old uh, to live with my Uncle Leo in Highgate. And I used to take the tube system down to Mile End and get a taxi from Mile End across to uh, Canning Town, to the Royal Oak, uh, where the, where Magri was training and Jimmy Flint was the fe British featherweight champion and Ray Catus and Jim Watt was the world lightweight champion. And I remember doing eight rounds at Jim Watt and I was 15 years old. And then it was condition sparring uh, and, you know, no matter what they say, it wasn't flat out. Mm. But I, I remember the first day I came and Terry Lawless was was there and I jumped in to spar Charlie Magri. And he was the European lightweight, a flyweight champion. And I was only a bantamweight. <laughs> and, uh, and he was probably half a stone heavier than me. So, ding, the bell goes and I didn't know the score. So I just went, okay, this guy's going to come out. So I went bang, bang with a right hand. And his nose started to bleed. Terry Law says, stop, come here. I said, me? Yeah, come here. He says, we're not fucking doing that here, mate. We're not. And I said, sorry, sorry, sorry. He says, we're not <laughs> sparring like that here. I said, okay, fine. He says, just, you, you go light, you throw your shots light, you don't try and take his head off. I said, fine. But I'd already broken his nose and he was fighting an Italian in the first defence. Oh, yeah. so I've fight. seen Charlie Magri's yeah. nose. Yeah. <laughs> so that was you, Barry. Well, yeah. No, no, no. It wasn't, I had nothing to do with that, but he stayed in the game too long. But no, Charlie was a lovely guy, very, very talented fighter. But, uh, you know, it was that gym, they had sparred, there was conditions on the sparring. Mm. And as I said, I sparred six to eight rounds with, with, with Ray Catus. Then I sparred with uh, Sylvester Mitty, who was a light welterweight. And, you know, and I understand it, but they didn't let everything go. So it, at, you know, you know as well as I do, that there, I don't know how many conditioning spars you had. It didn't seem, in my memory, there weren't very many. Of them. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was all flat out. And, and you know, you see a lot of the stuff in the Ingle gym where it's all body sparring. and That's bullshit as far as I'm concerned. Mm. Absolute, total nonsense. Because the reality is, first of all, you've got to learn how to slip a punch. You've got to see that nanosecond between a shot hitting you or missing you. You've got to learn how to slip it so your head's in the right place position so you don't miss the target when you come back those shots are whistling over your head missing you by a fraction you've got to get used to that and even though you're wearing a head guard and sometimes you know I don't think I ever wore a full full face guard but it's it's important to learn how to temper and take a shot and you learn that from the, in the gym you learn how to absorb a shot you learn how to move your head and rotate and you can hit it with 75% of the power and then roll your head after you've taken it and come back out and come back with a left hook or a right hand all of those little finer details that, that take into consideration split second timing 
you get that inspiring and open sparring, not condition sparring. I used to like to try and I was sparred for real. I just got real sparring partners in, pay, tried to pay them well and, and spar big guys. So you have like yeah, bigger guys to take the whack. So you wanted like good like heavyweights plus exactly, really. Yeah. You same might with get me. A smaller guy in yeah. to keep you quick. Um but again you maybe like you said earlier, Barry, you put the, the lighter guy in at the end of the spar to just keep you sharp. So if you're doing a twelve rounds a day uh, the lighter guy will come in with three, maximum four rounds to go. When you get tired, you punch looser anyway, so sometimes you carry more power in the later rounds. But you want that guy to be nice and sharp, keep you sharp. If I can do eight rounds or six rounds or eight rounds with a light welterweight, um, I know I can do it with uh, with a featherweight. That would, so that's, that's what you're always, you know, you're thinking that you know, I, I want a bigger, stronger, physically impressive you know, a sparring partner so that when I can do six, eight rounds with him at a full tongue and he jumps out and then we throw a featherweight in and they feel, wow, I can just bounce him all around the ring. So it's, it's, but it, I, I honestly, I, I used to spar all of my camps with light welterweights, all, always. And because I just couldn't get a featherweight. To, I mean, the, the Mexicans would come in and Barney would take their passport off them. So they couldn't go home. How's <laughs> it asked? Do you treat do you treat the sparring partners nicely, no, keep no, them happy, or no, do you keep them miserable and no, try and get no, more out of them? No, no, no. Well, well, well the Panamanians, uh, we used to. You wouldn't we, feed them, would you? No, no, no. They, they, <laughs> they, they used to stay in the guest house with me down in, in Bangor on uh, in on the front. We used to stay in a guest house with a girl called Mrs. Gray, and she had old old uh, the, the people staying residents full time with them and they had two houses big old Georgian and Victorian houses together and we used to stay there and there was you know lot, obviously lots of rooms for myself and my sparring partners I'll never f- uh, forget one morning coming in and uh, uh, it was the first day I had two Mexican guys that were sparring with me little small guys and uh, it was November <laughs> Oh, wow. And I came in and I knocked the door and they opened the, I opened the door and they were lying in their coats. They were cut, I thought you said they were cuddling. <laughs> they, were, they were lying in their coats. They were so cold. They actually these big hoodies on them. So anyway, so I said, uh, Welcome to Ireland. Are you, 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 you going to run? And they, so they, they they ran, but then it was the first day again. So I ran on and I said, come on, come on. They said, no, we run, we pissed this. So they, they were trotting. And so I was, I just left them and went on. But yeah, it's it's um, rapido, it rapido. What was your Spanish like? Exactly. <laughs> it's slightly better now. <laughs> yeah, and then one guy, one person, or one boxer, I guess you could say you worked with since since you retired, Daniel Day Lewis. Yeah, yeah, Tell yeah. Us about that. Yeah, well, he was great. He was just a fabulous guy. He but he was around one hundred and sixty pounds, about eleven stone, eleven stone six, and uh, he was sparring extensively with. Um, the British welterweight champion uh, uh, who was from Reading and whose name defeats me at the oh, moment. Um, He'll come back to me. Senior Byfield? No, not him. No, oh, this was that. many, many years ago. Okay. So we were getting ready in 97 for it. Mm. And uh, again... So the uh, film was The Boxer? It was a movie The Boxer for, yeah. with Jim Sheridan. Yeah, yeah. Jim, Jim wrote my book in 1985 and we're still great friends and uh, so we talk to each other all the time he said to me Barry I want you to train Daniel Day-Lewis and I said what? <laughs> he said I want you to train him I said what for? the movie was inspired by me because he spent his time with me but he couldn't because of the issues I had with Barney Eastwood legal issues couldn't tell the the, the, the real story mm. uh, and so he we 
I told him about the Young Alley fight, and it was in the World Sporting Club. It was in the the Park Lane Hotel. That's it. Yep. And it was where there the used to be a, apparently an ice skating. Uh, uh, arena underneath it that's where we have all the shows that's where the Queen apparently learned how to ice skate that's a bit of history for you <laughs> and uh, uh, so so anyway we I fought Young Ali you didn't Ali. teach her how to ice skate no, 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 I didn't, I didn't. but I fought Young Ali in that arena in that little room the great room which yep. is where they have all the shows and they have the you know lovely balcony and you look down on, on the floor and uh so I told him about the the Young Ali fight and I knocked him out in the f- sixth round, fifth or sixth round and he went into a coma and, and he never recovered and they flew him home to Nigeria and they turned the machines off after five months. So he wanted to tell the story about, but turn it around. And the so the boxer's about this guy, IRA guy, he's in jail and he gets out and he's fed up with the guys that are have been warping his brain his whole life and he breaks away from them and he gets away from them into in boxing. And the story is about where he fights this guy and he, he's beating him up and he's and this guy's useless, or not useless, but he's about to get knocked out and, and the crowd are going, you know, go on, go on, and, and, and he's going, what are you doing? And he said to the referee, why aren't you stopping this fight? And he walks away. So he turns the story around. So I trained Dan for that. For we done, we done two and a half years of preparation for him. Wow. And he sparred. Jeff McCreesh was the guy I was looking. Mm. The name I was looking for. He was a British welterweight, British and European welterweight champion at the time. Mm. And you know Jeff took it easy on him to begin with. But he was sparring flat out like six eight rounds with with McCreesh. And and you know he was very good. That's amazing. Very method good. Acting, yeah. and, I mean, he, but he is the epitome of you know method, and he's really good. And we're still great friends. He came to. Um, he's been so good since Nick had passed, and he's been in touch with me all the time. So he's a brilliant friend and he's uh, you know he's lovely he lives over south of Dublin and then he lives in, in New York as well so he's back and forth but he says he's not going to act anymore so what that's, that's hugely that's disappointing but it was a it was a great show and we done very well and it got very well rated in, in the various different f- films so uh, you know the, the, the festival so um, I was happy with the it was it all came to a sad end because it was the first time that Nika, my daughter Nika, got leukemia, and I had to leave the set. We were, we were out in the studios just south of Dublin, and and I got the news, so I had to go, uh, straight to the hospital in East London. So yeah, it was it was, and he of course was in touch with me all the time. He's a he's a really great fellow, very, very kind guy, very private guy. And uh, yeah, and he's married to Rebecca Miller, who's uh, Rebecca Miller, who's Arthur Miller's daughter, and she's a beautiful girl as well. So lovely, lovely people. Should we do the feature, Barry? Then we'll let you go. It's feature time. Let you go. Feature, feature time. What's up, Barry? You're the clone of Cyclones. Weather-related quiz. <laughs> Cue that jingle. Game of Clones. Which December 2019 World Heavyweight Title rematch? came dangerously close to being postponed right. due to hugely surprising rainfall all evening. Are we, are we talking about Anthony Joshua and Andy Ruiz Jr.? 1-0. Barry, easy okay. money. Very oh, good. That's, that's okay. okay, George, your first question. Which ACDC song became synonymous with Arturo Gatti? Uh, yeah, Barry, you could come in and try and nick another point no, here. No, I, I don't think I can. Oh, fuck it. I don't know. Go for it. Thunderstruck. 
Thunderstruck. Oh, Thunderstruck. I don't really like it. There'll be people at home I shouting. A, I wasn't an ACDC fan anyway, so. Okay, this is this one, Barry. It's for 2-0. Right. To pull into the lead. We're really into the lead. Which boxer known as Black Mamba faced Costas, you, Julio Cesar Chavez and Pernell Whitaker during his 72 fight career? Sol Mambi? No, it's weather related, but that's good. That's a great shout because Sol is son in Spanish. Oh no, I, I know I know the guy. I just can't, I, I can't, I, I can I can picture him in my head. I could be here Give forever. Up. Yeah. Roger Mayweather. Wow! Still one Roger there. Mayweather. Roger, I know, Costas, you, Julio Cesar oh, Chavez and Pernell Whitaker. Okay. Which Bosnian-German boxer who won world titles at two weights between 2003 and 2016 was really called Adnan Katic? Oh yeah, Felix Felix Sturm. 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 Yeah, who beat, who beat uh, Oscar De La Hoya and didn't get it. Yes, so Felix Sturm, Sturm meaning storm in German. Yeah. So very well done, uh, George is back. multilingual in here. Yeah, beautiful. Okay, here's one for you, Barry. In April 2010, Carl Froch defended his WBC super middleweight title overseas, but his flights were badly disrupted. Why? And what, what weird? 2010, Froch, WBC super middleweight title overseas. Listeners, I hope you're, I hope you're with me here. Oh, 2010. Hold on, hold on, let me think. I'm no, getting mixed up here. Two generations, so I've got to be careful. Go on, George. Kessler. Kessler, yeah. But what, what was it that disrupted his flights so badly that he nearly could never fight him? The weather was so bad that the planes couldn't, because the engines were the, the engines were uh, afraid of. Ah, arrive at the point, Barry. No, I've got, 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 got it. I've got it. I've got it. It's it's the Mount Suvius or whatever. <laughs> uh, yeah, is that it? Yeah, but what? what, what, it, what? it was an eruption of of. Uh, ah, I can't think of the name. Oh, of it. you're. T- oh, it's ding, uh, ding. That's the count. Uh, volcanic ash cloud. Volcanic ash cloud. Cloud. I reckon we'll give you that, Barry. Yeah. I won't give. <laughs> too late. Too late. Too I won't late. give you. Now, we'll, okay, that's one all. Okay, George. Oh, this is. This is an easy one. Yeah. In September 1974, at the Waldorf Astoria Hotel in New York, what did Muhammad Ali famously claim to have handcuffed and thrown in jail? Lightning. Thunder. Thunder and lightning, that's right. Done. He's pulled in, so Barry, he handcuffed lightning, thrown thunder in jail. Okay, this one, Barry, to draw level and ain't got a fucking tiebreaker. Your son's fighter, Lawrence Okoli, successfully defended his WBO cruiserweight title at the O2 Arena on a Sunday night. But what was the name of the storm that put the fight in jeopardy after ripping off a section of the roof? Oh, God. <laughs> How could I possibly remember that? The name of the storm, that's uh, tough, that. Uh, yeah, but exactly. when you get it, you'll be like, yeah. it, was okay. it was everywhere. And I bet it was really everywhere for you that week. Right. Any ideas, George? Is it Almina? Nope. So I'll give you a clue, because you know we know storms. What letter? What e. letter? Letter E. 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 Oh, I know it is then. Go on. Eleanor. No, but it was a female name beginning yeah. with E. Well, it always is. It's yeah. always no, a female name. Storm, uh, storm what? Uh, Emma, Ellen. Elaine. It, what was Eve. It? You're never going to get it. Should I, get, should I give it Go to on, you? Yeah. Storm Eunice. Oh, That's Eunice. That's not E. Is <laughs> it you? Is it you? <laughs> yeah, it's you, isn't it? It's of course there is. It okay, is it's one, two. So, George, you can... <laughs> We've got two more. We've God got two more. So, George, if you get this right, then you've won. All right. Which light welterweight boxer describes Hurricane Katrina as the best thing that ever happened to me? And then, just for a little bit of extra spice in this, he then lived through Hurricane Harvey. So he lived through two. Lived through Hurricane Harvey. Yep. Oh, and right. Barry's ready to draw this two on. You, you have it, Barry. Oh, no. It's Regis Progress. Yes, Regis and, Progress. And he moved to uh, Houston. Houston, Texas. Yep. And he was in, in Mississippi New or New Orleans. Yeah, and he says that because of the hurricane, he had to leave. And that was when he started boxing. 
and he went to the new gym and he trained ne- alongside of Vander Holyfield. Amazing story, Regis Progray. Isn't um, he then trained Los Angeles too expensive. Too back, expensive. He's back in uh, yeah. So Texas, that's two yeah. all. Okay, so Barry, easy one for you. You could, you could These win this. These are weird. They're very, very... You've put a lot of effort I'll in. i tell you what. <laughs> you, t- you tried writing 10 boxing questions that have got weather-related. It's not easy. Okay. Why did David Hay wear running shoes for his fight with Derek Chisora? Because it was a storm and he was, he was slipping all over the place. That's Where correct. was the fight? Where was it? Uh, Derek Chisora. That was in... The f- a football ground. What, oh, what was it again? West Ham. Yeah. Okay, so Barry, that's 3-2. For oh, who? To you. <laughs> <laughs> here, here we go then. He didn't want to win. To make it three all, George, about which fight was Don King talking when he said, after the fight, the rains came. It was like God speaking to us. Under the stadium was Rumbling the press Rumbling in the room. jungle, isn't it? 1974. Very jungle. Good. Three all. Okay, tiebreaker. First person to get this wins. Great. Okay. What famously fell from the sky during Evander Holyfield versus Riddick Brown? Ah, Bowen, it was this parachutist. Yes. The fan stuck, man. Stuck on the... On the uh, he knew that. Barry's done he it. Knew that. He I was trying to think how it was weather-related. Well, but yeah, precipitation well, of yeah, some exactly. sort. Well, Barry wins 4-3. <laughs> Congratulations. Ball, let me, let me win. That was very that's, good. That's very uh, good. was a great performance from out of nowhere. I mean, th- I mean the I'm, questions... I'm, I'm disappointed with, with Saul Mamby. Yeah. Very disappointed. Roger Should Mayweather. Flight, uh, uh, yeah. Flight, what a career. Costa Zoo, unbelievable. Okay. Mate, 4-3, Barry. And what a way to leave it. Game of Clones. Barry, thanks a lot for coming in, mate. You're welcome. I really, I really, appreciate really enjoyed it. it. I'm sorry I, I, I was so long-winded about some of these stories, but the, don't the, need. The, you're not. You wasn't. You're being long-winded about the sorry. Don't. Yeah. <laughs> there's nothing long-winded about it, Barry. Yeah. He was a fantastic Thank guest. You Loved much. it. Thank you. You're welcome. Delighted to be here. Did you enjoy that deck? <sighs> George, I'm I'm exhausted. What a journey that was. Yeah, what a journey. He's a Hall of Famer, yeah. British Hall of Famer, you know, a household name for generations. What a great insight into his boxing career and many other political troubles that he had and everything else. It was just brilliant to have him on. That is the George Groves clout there. You got Barry McGuigan in because that's he's proper club member, isn't he? Yeah, he is proper club member. Got um, him all the way here, all the way to Soho. Fifteen rounds deck. I, no I wanted to talk more. He didn't want to tell me more. I wanted to talk more. 15 rounds. He mm. played it down. It's not. It can't be easy. Mm. If you want more from the GGBC team, then go follow us at GG Boxing Club on Instagram and Twitter. And you can also reach us via our new Brands Banking new email address as well. Uh, email ggboxingclub at crowdnetwork.co.uk. And speaking of reaching out, as we've created this club, we want to hear from the elite club members. Give them a voice. <laughs> you can't. You can't start keep running this as an autocratic system. But no, sorry, I won't have it. The people need a voice. Should we? Uh, we'll we'll add a tag. Yeah. Yeah. Go on. Ask the saint. Ask the saint. It's not religious, right? On the socials, right? You can ask me anything, godly or not, um, about career or anything. You know, fighters past and present, face-offs, walkouts, beyond. You know, anything I'm all ears right mm-hmm. and don't forget to keep sending in those requests to be on our official club playlist The Ring Walk and if you want more boxing in podcast form who wouldn't who wouldn't go and check out the opening bell the boxing news podcast everyone's second favourite double act Matt Christie and Alex Steedman after us I mean everyone loves them everyone loves, everyone loves the boxing news everyone loves the boxing news go and listen to their podcast search for the boxing news opening bell in your podcast app 
No. No. Next week, George. Frank Smith. Smith. Uh, he's coming to talk about money. Money, 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 money. money. What? Yeah. This is one we've had people have been hounding us about. Yeah. I think so. We Everyone wants to know about money. And who knows more about money? The guy who's been at Matchroom since he was a wee nipper. Yeah. Tell us everything we need to know. See you next week. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.